Today we'll continue our Lenten sermon series. Our topic today will be sacrifice. Last week, Pastor John talked about self-denial, uh, self-denial of, uh, of ourselves to be Lord over our own lives, self-denial and the cross. Today, we'll talk about sacrifice, and we'll see how these overlap, for we submit ourselves to the lordship of one. That is who we will begin to listen to. That's who will begin to shape us and form us. Our passage today is from Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Now, Romans could kind of be divided in a very simple outline. I'm a simple guy, so I like simple outlines, and I think you'll like this outline too. You can always outline the book of Romans if you remember that chapters 1 through 11 is what we should believe, and chapters 12 through 16 is how we should act, what we should believe, and how we should act. In the first part of Romans, Paul is laying out some very essential things to understand as Christians, that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. He goes into a lengthy discussion of human sin and the effects of that sin and, and how it turns people away from God as they, they switch a truth for a lie. They trade it in, a truth for a lie. He speaks of the hope that we have in the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and our freedom from sin and how all who believe in Christ have faith by the grace of God alone, not by our own works. These are important things for the Christian to know and to remember. And these important things to know lead to how a Christian should act. And that's where we find ourselves today in Romans 12, the beginning of the section from Paul on how Christians should act. Before we read God's word, let's pray. Gracious God, enliven our minds and open our ears that we might hear the true message of your word today. Preserve us from fault and help us to understand, help us to believe in our hearts the truth of the gospel, your mercy, and the need for transformation. Lord, may all this be that we might go out into this world for your glory as image bearers. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Hear the word of God from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This ends the reading of God's holy, inspired, and applicable word. Thanks be to God. Amen. Worship and sacrifice have always been connected. From the very beginning, we see worship and sacrifice connected together. 
One of the earliest recordings of worship might be Cain and Abel as they offer sacrifices to God. We see this continued in Noah as he offers sacrifices, in Abraham, in Isaac, in Jacob. We see it in the tabernacle. We see it in worship at the temple. Always sacrifice and worship are going together. Paul tells us here today that sacrifice has not ceased, but sacrifice and worship are still joined together, even in this New Testament age. Sacrifice and worship go together. In this, we can see the necessity of sacrifice. That will be our first point today, the necessity of sacrifice in worship. Sacrifice in Scripture has always needed to conform to God's standards. It's always been that it should be a pleasing aroma to the Lord. This is a phrase that's often repeated in describing the Old Testament sacrifices, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. These sacrifices should be unblemished and without defect. Paul tells us today the same thing, that a living sacrifice to God should be holy and acceptable. So we start to see that now there is a need There is a need because although worship has always required a perfect sacrifice to God, our sin keeps us from that perfect sacrifice. Because of our sin, we cannot offer a sacrifice to God that is holy and acceptable. And so we see the need for transformation. First, we have the necessity of sacrifice. And second, the need for transformation. Paul starts off, he says, I appeal to you, therefore. This is an indicator word as we read our Bibles. Therefore, you may have heard the saying, when you see therefore, you need to know what therefore is therefore, right? What is therefore, therefore? Therefore is there to point us back into the text. When we see that word, therefore, we need to go and see what the writer is referring to because he's about to make an argument based on what he's presented in the past. Now, most directly here, we can see in 1132, Paul says, for God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. And then he goes into praise of God about the depths and riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. He's basing an argument on mercy. If you look at the book of Romans as a whole, We could see, as I explained earlier, that Paul describes sin. He describes the effects of sin, the futile thinking, the foolish dark hearts, the unrighteousness, the hatred of God. And then he moves on to God's mercy in Christ. He moves on. He goes from sin to mercy. So, Paul is telling us that we need to understand the mercy of God, right? What is the therefore, therefore? Well, he's making an argument. Why should you present your bodies as a living sacrifice? Because of the mercy of God. So as we take a minute to understand the mercy of God, we have to understand two things. We have to understand human sin to truly understand God's mercy. 
So first, human sin. Paul spends a lot of time talking about it. He talks about how human sin leads to murder, how it leads to deceit, how when we trade a truth for a lie, we begin in this downward spiral of sin that results in the hatred of God and ultimately death. This is a dark reality. But it's been said that a great, beautiful pearl is best seen on the backdrop of black velvet. The contrast between the gleaming pearl and the black velvet displays the beauty all the more. And so too does the blackness of our sin. For when we understand the state that we are in without Christ, the true vile nature of our sin, the true affront that it is to God, it's only then that we can truly understand the beauty of God's mercy, the great heights of God's love. All this on the backdrop of sin, God purposes that sin to display his great love. That's what Paul says in, 30, in verse 32, just before. God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. And because of God's mercy, now we should offer our lives as a living sacrifice. So we have to understand our sin, to understand God's mercy in Christ, because it was in the midst of that black and vile sin that God sent his only son to die a death on the cross for the forgiveness of that sin. While we were yet sinners, Christ died on the cross for us. That is the great height of God's love the beauty of God's mercy, and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us, that we might be forgiven. This drives us, when we truly understand it, to have hearts filled with thanksgiving. And now we can start to understand what a living sacrifice is. A living sacrifice must begin with a heart of thanksgiving. The prophet Hosea reveals to us that God didn't desire sacrifice, but steadfast love. It wasn't the burning of a bull's flesh that pleased God. It wasn't the smoke rising into the heaven that was a pleasing aroma, but it was the obedience of God's people that came out of a grateful heart for who God is and what God has done. God, the Redeemer of Israel, who brought them out of the slavery of Egypt, who brought them out of the house of slavery, that is why Israel is to offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving in the burning of a bull. It is for who God is, for his goodness, for his love, for his mercy, for his majesty and his power. It's for who God is that Israel was to offer up a sacrifice of thanksgiving. So we can start to see that this sacrifice has to come from a grateful heart. Now, this is a living sacrifice. There's a difference here, right? We're not sacrificing any bulls in worship today. Paul tells us that this is a sacrifice which is a living sacrifice. So we have sort of progressed from 
an outward sign of love and obedience to God and the burning of a bull on the altar, to an outward sign of love and obedience in living a life that is pleasing to God. Because of what we know and the mercy of God, we are to live out a life that is pleasing to God with a thankful heart. A living sacrifice is a life lived in grateful obedience to God. A living sacrifice is a life lived in grateful obedience to God. And we're grateful because we know the mercy of God. Now, a bull in the Old Testament was burned up completely. It was placed on the altar. It was reduced to smoke and ash. There's nothing useful left. There's nothing useful left for people. God doesn't need the smoke of the altar. He doesn't need the ashes of the altar. But he desired to see steadfast love, obedience of his people. And so now we can see, as we look back to the Old Testament sacrifice, that a living sacrifice is a life given completely to God, just as the bull was given completely up to God. So a life lived in obedience given completely to God. That is a living sacrifice. What do you have that's useful? What do you have that's a blessing from God, that's a talent? Who do you have in your life? Where has God placed you in life that you might live out a way that is pleasing to God? Because you're obedient to God, because you're living a life with a grateful heart. Worship and sacrifice are still connected today for God's people. The sacrifice has changed from a burning bull to a life burning for Christ, a life of love and obedience and commitment to God through faith in Jesus Christ. This is a sacrifice that is pleasing to God. This is what he means when he says, offer up your bodies as a sacrifice, not merely your flesh, not merely your mind, but your body, your mind, your soul, your strength, everything about you is to be given over to God for him. Not because he needs you, but because he desires your steadfast love. And when we do so, we walk in obedience, a life that is pleasing to God. This is our spiritual worship, our true worship of God. Sacrifice and worship are still connected, and so we see the necessity of sacrifice. A life lived in grateful obedience to God. Next, we see the need for transformation. Paul warns, do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this world. We need to understand that there's a connection between sacrifice and heart, between the state of our heart and sacrifice. If we wanna understand this more, we only need to go back to Cain and Abel. As Cain and Abel are presenting their sacrifices, Abel's sacrifice was pleasing to God. Cain's sacrifice, God had no regard for. Why? 
We're not given any rules for the sacrifice. We don't know really what was not pleasing about the sacrifice. What we can be sure of is what happens afterwards. If scripture doesn't tell us specifically, we can rest assured that it's not specifically needed for our salvation. So what do we read next? Well, Cain's face falls. He's obviously disappointed that his sacrifice was not pleasing to God. And what does God tell him? He says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? He's not wiped off of the face of the earth for providing a sacrifice unacceptable to God. God disciplines him. He's trying to shape him and form him. It's the mercy of God. But the sacrifice is connected to the state of Cain's heart. And we see the state of Cain's heart with what follows. Because the seed of hatred is in Cain's heart. And that blossoms into the flower of murder. Hatred to murder in Cain's heart was not a love for God. It was not grateful obedience or an understanding of God's mercy, but it was sin. Remember murder, deceit, maliciousness. Right here, right here in one of the first sacrifices recorded in scripture. That's why Cain's sacrifice was not acceptable because his heart wasn't right. Now, when Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, we have to be careful to clarify, right? We're not talking about the world as in the grass and the trees and the sky and the ground. If that was what we were talking about, maybe allergies would be a sin, right? As we're conformed to the pollen that's floating around and we're conformed to a sniveling mess of, uh, of sneezing and fits, but that's not what he's talking about. This word here for world could also be uh, translated as age. This age, as in this current evil age. This is what Cain's heart was conformed by. This evil age. Notice, too, that it is that we are conformed by this age, by this world. It's a passive thing. If we sit and wait, we are conformed by this world. If we don't turn to God, we are conformed by this world. There's no other way. There's no other way. It's everything flipped on its head. Adam was supposed to be God's image bearer on earth to exercise dominion. Eve was to be his helper. But what happens is that Adam is conformed by creation. Eve is conformed by the serpent as she exchanges the truth of God and the truth of his revelation for a lie. Instead of conforming creation as image bearers of God, they flip the script and they are conformed by creation instead. This is what Paul warns about. Do not be conformed by the world. Do not exchange a truth for a lie. Well, what does this look like? How can we be more prepared? What does Satan say to Eve in the garden? Did God really say? Did God really say that you will die if you eat of the fruit? Surely you won't die. You trade a truth for a lie. That's the temptation. 
to trade a truth for a lie. That's being conformed to this world. Did God really say? Eve doubted the revelation of Scripture, the Word of God. And she was conformed by the world, so too Adam, and plunged creation into the fall, into this current evil age in which we live. And we exchange a truth for a lie. What truths, what lies are we tempted to switch? As this current evil age bears down on us, as popular culture and popular opinion present all sorts of options that we might trade God's truth for Satan's lie. How about the fact that God made man in his own image, that human beings are made male and female in the image of God? Did God really say that? We're tempted to exchange a truth for a lie. Did God really say that man is to leave his father and mother and cleave to a woman in marriage? That marriage is between one man and one woman? Did God really say that? We're tempted to exchange a truth for a lie. Did God really say that we are to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy? Did God really say that the only way to salvation is through Jesus Christ, that the only way to know the Father is through the Son? Did he really say that? Did he really say that all who believe in Jesus Christ are forgiven for their sins? Did he really say that? Brothers and sisters, we are tempted to switch, to trade God's truth revealed in Scripture for a lie every single day. That marriage is not between man and a woman. It can be whoever we want it to be. That is a lie because God's word tells us otherwise. That it's not so important if we worship on the Sabbath. It's not so important that we dedicate one day out of the seven to God. It's really no big deal. That is a lie. The world tells us that there are many ways to salvation, that there are many religions that are good in which we can know God. Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father. That is a lie. This is how we are tempted to be conformed by this world, that we are tempted to be conformed by this world as we listen to what they say, as we believe in what they offer. What we believe affects how we act. In fact, what we believe necessarily leads to how we will act. If we believe the truth of Scripture, if we believe truly the mercy of God and we can grasp hold of that truth, we will live our lives in obedient thankfulness, a holy sacrifice to God. But if we exchange that truth for a lie, we're formed and shaped by Satan. We're sifted like wheat. All the useful talents, all of the blessings, all of the goodness that God gives us is then put to work for the kingdom of Satan instead of the kingdom of God. But as we live a life of grateful obedience, we're a living sacrifice, pleasing and acceptable to God. 
We can see now the need for transformation. And how is this transformation achieved? Paul says, do not be conformed by this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now here we have to be careful again, because Paul's not just thinking about academic learning. He's talking about the renewal of your mind in such a way that your mind works in no other way. He's talking about the renewal of your mind that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. This is rebirth. Those who believe in Christ are reborn in Christ, are held up by the power of the Spirit with renewed minds. This is being transformed. And as our minds are transformed through faith in Christ, there's effects. We have these effects of our renewed mind and that we can embrace the truth of Scripture. We read Scripture and we hear it loud and clear that God is speaking to us through His Word. He is telling us how we might live a life that is pleasing to Him, that we might discern what is the will of God. Renewed minds understand God's grace and mercy. And so with renewed minds, we move forth with thanksgiving living a life pleasing to God. And a renewed mind looks back and understands sin for what it really is, for how vile sin really is, the, the saccharine sweetness of this sin that hides a deadly hook, that enslaves us, that puts us to work for the devices of Satan brothers and sisters, we are renewed in Christ, free from those snares. As we trust, as we know, we are renewed. We've got to exchange the lie back for a truth. When we are tempted by what we hear around us, that there is satisfaction in anything else other than Jesus Christ. That there is another way other than what God has laid out for us. When we believe these, when we switch these lies back to a truth and follow Scripture, we live a life of grateful obedience and we are restored. Worship and sacrifice have always been connected. They've always been together. They're still together now, even as we worship today. That sacrifice has gone from a bull to a sacrifice of our own lives, but a living sacrifice, a life that is pleasing and acceptable to God, a life that is walked as Christ walked, holy and fragrant and wonderful as we go out to do as Christ did in the mission of reconciliation. This is a life of living sacrifice. And this is what's required of us to truly come and worship God. Do not despair the blackness of sin. For Christ has come, Christ has risen and reigns now over all his people for the glory of God and for the goodness 
of all who trust in him. All praise and glory be to God. Let's pray. Gracious Father, in your goodness, in your mercy, you renew our minds and you give us new hearts of flesh that we might walk in your ways and glorify you, offering up our lives as living sacrifices. Lord, would you strengthen us and guide us. Give us a hunger for your word that we might know you. And give us delight in your word that we might walk in your ways with thankful and obedient hearts as faithful witnesses to our Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Having heard the good news of the gospel, would you all please rise and let us say together the Apostles' Creed. Christians, in whom do you believe? I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. 